0: You're listening to He Kōreroa, a community research podcast. Welcome to our second podcast series, Hoki Fakamudi, Heidi Whakamua, Thinking Back, Going Forward, our webinars and audio. Hear brave kōreroa on kaupapa, like valuing worldviews and indigenous research, the power of refugee research, supporting New Zealand-born Pacific youth, and white fragility. This webinar supporting New Zealand-born Pacific youth was hosted by Community Research in February 2021 with Sua Laupule Asatoa Sam Pelisi. This webinar shares the experiences and perceptions of New Zealand-born Pacific youth. It focuses on their various responsibilities to serve family, church and community. This webinar also explores the ways in which Pacific youth can best be supported by those who work with them.
1: My name is Asito Sam Pilisi, a New Zealand-born Samoan Niuain, with our links uh, to the villages of Satolepai and Sava'i and also Palauli, uh, Palauli and Sava'i which is in Samoa, um, and my mum hails uh, from the island of Niue, uh, which I have links back to um, Abasile and Alofi, Alofi North. Um, but myself, I'm uh, definitely uh, a citizen of um, central Auckland, uh, born and uh, raised um, in the first kingdom of uh, of our Pacific migrants, which was um, Ponson B and Grey we have um, since um, invited the rest of the world to come in and uh, share our streets and our... Uh, Uncles and aunties and grandparents have, uh, many of us have obviously moved into other parts of Auckland, but it's nice to see that we stay resident, so to speak, of central Auckland via our churches, our sports clubs and our schools. I'm the oldest of five boys. My mum kept praying um, for a daughter and they kept trying. And after five, uh, that was enough. Been working in tertiary education for uh, over 10 years, uh, mainly working with uh, Pacific students, both uh, at university, but also in high schools and uh, just incredibly uh, blessed uh, to do so and then share time and space, Maro.
2: Um Thank you, Sam. Education has played a big part in your life. And um, if you can share with us some of your, your educational journey from wherever it started from, um, right up to this very moment.
1: I grew up in central Auckland. So I went to uh, kindy, primary and also high school. I went to uh, Mount Albert Grammar when it was uh, all boys, uh, the kingdom of the Blue Lion. Um, Lots of changes in that school now, um, but I still have connections back there. And following high school, um, it was always the plan to go to university. I had uh, my mom's uh, siblings, some of my mom's siblings uh, go to university and sort of that was um, shown as the route. Uh, You finish school, um, go to university, uh, work hard um, and set yourself up for the future. Uh, like many of our young people, we, I've seen um, in the last 10 years and continue to see is um, I didn't really have a set plan on what, I, what I wanted to study. However, uh, uni was um, the pathway to go. I did see um, my auntie complete a, a law degree uh, during my time when I was at high school. So you sort of, um, there's those line of sight uh, sort of careers or study professions. And uh, I arrived to uni taking up social sciences, which I just thought was social studies but to my uh, surprise, it uh, was close, but sort of far away from that. I am fortunate that whilst I didn't have the most um, planning under my belt towards what I studied, um, I grew to love social sciences and understand about society, uh, understand about different cultures and how we interact. And so following that, I, um, yeah, entered into the space of working with young people um, and have juggled sort of studied on the side uh, from there. I was always interested in um, Pacific cultures, um, both my Nguyen culture and Samoan culture, but also just broadly right across um, the Pacific. Uh, so I did some postgraduate study up at the University of Auckland, uh, I think about 10 years ago, and then about five years ago, undertook some study at AUT, which is my current workplace, and entered into the Master of Educational Leadership as advised from my boss. Didn't sound too exciting at the time, um sounded like it was for leaders um, and perhaps um, for people that are aspiring to be principals or middle management, which I didn't see myself as. Uh, nonetheless, I um, did quite a few papers um, and then towards the back end uh, completed a dissertation around service, which I um, yeah really enjoyed. And some key people around, I guess, my educational journey was, was always my mum and my parents, my grandparents, who I spent a good chunk of my childhood with. I'm um, always pushed to to work hard, um, to do your best. And um, I was fortunate enough to um, do well in school when I put some effort in. Um, and times when I, I sort of slacked off, it, it was reflected in my grades. And then had to um, yeah learn to to navigate that and be resilient and keep pushing ahead for um, whatever the the goals that were in front of me.
2: Thank you for for sharing a very humbling journey uh, within the field of education. Can you share some of your your work journey um, in education, particularly the work that you've done in Australia? malo if
1: I perhaps talk to the genesis of uh, my uh, my work in education, I, I reference um, a mentoring program that is run out of the, uni- or a mentoring camp, so to speak, out of the University of Falkland, which I think I met you there, Edmund, as well, uh, many years ago, when you're your it around in the cold winter, flexing. Um, but the camp was called Dream Whonu Tanga, or Dream Whonu as it's, commonly known and I think uh, 2006 was my first time there as a mentor I perhaps didn't have the biggest expectations of what it was going to be other than you know camp and you're gonna play some games maybe some competition and just have some fun but personally it, it, it uh, changed the direction of where I was wanting to go and what I wanted to do um, I had so much fun um, but also I found purpose um, during that camp Just to give some quick context is there's about 120 plus Pacific students that go on camp for a week, um, usually year 12, 16, 17 years old. Um, And mentors um, are split up to take a group. So I had a a female mentor partner and we had about I think 12 or 13 students and they were our kids so to speak for the week. And uh, I I loved it. I loved um, the interaction. I loved, um, you know, sewing into young people. Um, and that week, whatever that was, um, I just went. Oh, I, I, I want this to be me. I, I want to um, serve or exist um, or operate in this space. And so, upon leaving uni, because that was towards the end of my uni studies, I became a, a youth worker um, at a private training educator, a private training education provider out in West Auckland. And I, I took everything that I enjoyed from Dreamfunnel um, and applied that to our work in helping young people at the time who were uh, disengaged with mainstream education, and, but um, nonetheless uh, still had a basic um, goal to make their mum and dad proud and exiting out of mainstream sort of came with its stigma and stuff like that. Um, so I, I found joy in working in that space for a couple of years and then I worked into um a wider tertiary space and going into high schools. And that was awesome because we got to go visit schools right across Auckland, right across New Zealand, and sow into young people the idea of tertiary education, work hard in school, um, put goals ahead, and enter into tertiary ed- education. One to broaden our horizons um, to learn new knowledge, but also to equip ourselves with skills um, so that we can go back into the workforce, into the community, and support ourselves and our families. And since that, I've done that at a train, training provider in Auckland, and immediately after that, I went to Australia, which was um, the same but then different, uh, working with Māori and Pacific students in Western Sydney, which has the largest amount of uh, Māori and Pacific people in Australia. And so that was uh, incredibly humbling, and I, I met so many Māori and Pacific families who had um, come from New Zealand as well and, and, and had moved to Australia for a variety of reasons, but in essence was obviously to search for a better life um, and to have um, better opportunities and so working there um, I learned so many things around um, higher education is on offer there but um, pay rates um, for low to medium skilled jobs are bloody awesome and lots of our people are are happy so to speak or um, are afforded um, the chance just to um, go into these entry-level jobs and and make a killing and and, and, and in one sense uh, that made Um, preaching, if we want to call it that, um, or encouraging our people to to look at um, qualifications bit of an uphill battle. And so I enjoyed my time there, the few years that I was in Western Sydney. And then after that, I returned back to Auckland and have been at AUT for over five years now and continuing the same work with uh, many other colleagues that work in various providers to encourage our our Pasifika youth in in particular uh, to look towards the future. And education is incredibly um, empowering and it can um, democratize, so to speak, um, the opportunities ahead. And it doesn't matter in terms of skin color um, or area code that you live in, qualifications um, is, is equipped with you for life and it can open up so many doors. Uh, so that's been my, I guess, my, uh, my journey, so to speak, with working within education. And I've, I've been thoroughly blessed to meet so many awesome young people um, and they are the families that are attached to these young people. I
2: well, thank you, Seb. Um, the work that you're doing uh, is amazing for our Pacific families and communities. And I do hope that uh, uh, you, you continue doing that work and in, um, inspiring our students as well. Mm-hmm. Now, negotiating service within areas of responsibilities, experiences of New Zealand-born Pacific tertiary students. Can you share the motivation behind carrying out this Uh, this amazing piece of research that you did for um, your masters of educational leadership
1: Uh, thank you i think in part these are parts of my working journey my studying journey and also perhaps lots of the young people that i interacted with um, that formed the genesis uh, for the motivation for this study and uh what what i i guess i can speak to or attest to is that um service is huge in our communities and um, the, the heart to serve and do things for others and um, to give and want to share within a, a wider collective is um, it's embedded in our DNA, if we want to call it that, and we see it everywhere. Um, we see it in our homes, uh, we see it in our churches, we see it in our communities. Um, and if I reference in particular, uh, my, my time at Western Sydney, all the Pacific Union students there um, were incredibly um, motivated uh, to give back to their communities. Um, If we want to make some parallels, Western Sydney is perhaps Sydney or even Australia's version of South Auckland, um, but is resident to 2.5 million people, so it's a much larger community with um, lots of different ethnic groups. And I found many of the Pacific University students um, came to uni to give back to their families um, and wanted to, um, you know, work hard. Um, and demonstrate back to their families that the opportunities afforded to them, that they were aware of it and they, you know, they wanted to make the most of university study, but also they wanted to work hard and go back into their communities and show that Western Sydney can have doctors, Western Sydney can have lawyers and and so forth. And so out of that became the motivation to go, well, service and and, and how we look at the world and how we see our journey as i found is intertwined by this this desire and heart to serve to serve others our minds our hearts and our actions follow under this ethos of, of serving others and so that was the desire i wanted to capture stories around that and so i was very grateful um, to undertake the study and then collect um stories of um yeah new zealand born pacific uni students
2: can you share some of the methodology that you um Carried out for your um, your study.
1: Um, so I took a qualitative approach and decided to do um Talanoa interviews, and uh, basically wanted to um, the stories and experiences of these young people to drive the research. And so, um, basically, I was just um, a fly in the wall and asked a few questions and just asked them to to share what their world looks like through a a, a service lens.
2: Got a question here from Rob. He mentions you being shown education as the pathway by your family um, and that you enjoy education as well. Can you credit the joy for education to anybody or anything you experienced in your learning? And the other question is, uh, what tips can you provide in terms of how we can make young people, uh, young Pacific students enjoy education?
1: Um, I think personal journey and what I found joy was people around me that motivated me, I think. My mum was a solo mum for a while until she remarried. And um, you know, and seeing the sacrifices that our mother made for me and my uh, two brothers at the time, so there was three of us for a bit. And my mom didn't, you know, do too well through school, but she mentioned just, you know, don't don't follow my footsteps, sons. Um, you know, work hard, um, do your best, and if you can go to uni, then go to uni. And so, for me personally, um, seeing the sacrifices and hearing the words of my mom to not follow after her footsteps um, was the uh, motivation I needed. Um, to do my best. Um, That wasn't um, a sustained effort all the time. There were definitely times where I just fell off or just didn't want to, or was bored, but um, that was my my reference point was to go back uh, to that. In terms of making education enjoyable for um, Pacific students, for me, I I did okay in high school and just did um, the bare minimum to sort of get out with university entrance. But when I got to uni, um, I found the joy of being able to apply um, my assignments, my presentations, group work, um, um, using whatever theories and other things that were there, which were often Western um, theories, but find ways to include and interweave um, Pacific or Maori stories in there, which often uh, reflected my own personal experiences or people that I knew around me. Um, so I found joy in that, um, which is, I guess, the um, the privilege, or what you have when you get to uni, options open up. You you can start to focus on areas that you are interested in more, as opposed to being when you're in uh, compulsory education in high school, in particular. Like these just subjects that you have to take, and you have to. And uh, I guess it's um, you know, sort of pleasing to hear um the introduction or um the widening of um New Zealand history and Maori narratives and that, and contextualizing who we are as people here in New Zealand and um. For me, I, I hope that will be a, a little bit more of a carrot for young people to know history, as opposed to knowing history, learning about history um, in Europe or in Asia or uh, countries that are, you know, five hundred years ago that perhaps has no, um, you know, direct relevance to who we are as an emerging nation here in Aotearoa New Zealand.
2: Now, you mentioned the work, uh, the the word service. The word Tautua is now a, a popular word. Uh, within uh, a lot of spaces. How would you, what, what is your definition of tautua? And and if we can compare it to some of the um, findings that you found um, and, and whether there were any key differences or similarities within your own personal definition of tautua compared to the students that you um, talked to?
1: Hello. Um, in, the, in the research on the in Talono the interviews, um, I didn't define um, service. Um, but I included uh, the word service in uh, the questions. And what had come out of that was a a variety of, I guess, similar words uh, to service. And I guess I'll just read them out. I made it some notes earlier. Um, So again, I I didn't define uh, what I felt service was, but left it up to the young people and the participants to articulate what they understood and perceived service to be. So to them, it meant like serving others, it meant giving, to others it also meant like doing things for others. And one of the key ones was um, around putting others first rather than yourself, they saw services that, and it was this idea and the spirit of being generous, generous with your time, your heart, mind, and your resources, um, which quick ones were always around money or food. You were you know generous with that, you shared it out, and this idea of hospitality. And so I think, um, according to the young people, which reflects some of how I see things, is is service is not necessarily just actions. Um, Service is a a worldview, it's a lifestyle, and it's a lens on how we put, how we look at things, and then how we, um, yeah, obviously service can be defined as actions, but I think it's much broader than that, um, which is also reflected in how the young people talked about service and didn't just see it as um, mere actions of um, dropping um, grandma off to um, the doctors or, you know, putting money in an envelope for this. It was much more than that. It was came from the heart and from the mind and how we see the world. And then that obviously influenced how and why we do things.
2: we got a question here from Nina Tui, uh, which states, um, how can we support and nurture the spirit of service within our young people while also ensuring that their time is valued and recognized appropriately.
1: Mm. I think um, if, if I perhaps look at two strands, or if I start off first by um cultural service, um all the young people shared that obviously there are elements of responsibilities and obligations that are um, that exist and are expected of them within cultural frameworks, and that was all defined um, by either being the outer sibling or being a daughter as opposed to a son, um, and a variety of different roles that they have. Um, I think it's important to, where possible, and I guess this is within the family context or even community church context, is, is to um, unpack these um, these meanings behind why uh, cultural uh, service responsibilities are, are important and give young people um yeah the, the knowledge and the tools to understand that because what had come out through um the the interviews was that young people um, appreciated being explained um the, the significance and the meanings behind this and perhaps which is the keyword is, is relationships and how relationships are important because sometimes living here in new zealand if we live outside of um our pacific homelands is um, we, we often don't meet um, the 500 aunties and uncles that you have just on your mum's side, let alone your dad's side. And so I think it's important to unpack that. But also the, the key thing that came out was that young people shared this idea that they go between two worlds. And so, yep, they acknowledge that um, Pacific values are important, and which in part is this idea of service. They acknowledge that By serving and giving to others and not thinking about yourself, that um, is—that's not selfish. And they they don't want to be selfish because you know you you acknowledge that other people have done things for you. So in part, you do things for others. But then on on, in the same vein, um, some of the young people talked about. So then I said, "Oh, if if you don't serve, does that mean you're that you're being selfish?" And then they're like, "Well." sometimes you can't always give yeah maybe that's not selfish if you need a break or if you need a rest and so they sort of go between these these two worlds and paradigms where it's going it's serve at all costs or this idea that yep you can serve and give but you need to stay within some means or you need to have a break from time to time and so um i think as as parents we need to acknowledge or even as adults we need to acknowledge that um, for our young people here in uh, New Zealand, um, this isn't um, the same as, as the Pacific or our villages where there's um, our bread and butter, and our young people need to be supported in um, fulfilling these responsibilities, but also um, understand that this is a very different world here in New Zealand.
2: We've got a question here from P. Mata. Um, does your research identify any resentment or negative feelings uh, from the, oh, from our young Pacific people around cultural responsibility, and if so, any reasons why?
1: If I go one step uh, prior to answering this question is that um, lots of research in the 90s and 2000s to date um, looks at a uh, New Zealand-born Pacific youth in crisis um, with cultural responsibilities and leaving cultural spaces, be it the church, like our Pacific uh, language churches and so forth, Um, I purposely um, interviewed Pacific young people that have remained um, in Pacific churches, that have remained um, in terms of serving uh, their families and their communities that I knew that were active. And so when I come back to this question, um, all the young people did identify that serving is um, empowering and purposeful to them. However, um, it's not straightforward. And they did identify that, um, so if I go to the sort of gender split, is that all the girls identified that there's more responsibilities given to them and greater expectations for them to carry out various tasks that are not um, expected of their brothers. The brothers came to the table and also shared that they see that their sisters are expected far more duties and cultural responsibilities as opposed to them. Now, when we look at, I guess, this idea of resentment, um, I didn't see that in any of the participants um, that I interviewed, but they did acknowledge that it it can be incredibly difficult. Um, Serving also comes with attached relationships that also can be um, political, um, be it just between different families, different villages, different churches, and it can be sometimes tricky to navigate that. Um, Why did you serve or give um, your time or your resources to these guys and not to these guys. Um, but what they found was that through those challenges, you you grow um, a wide base of cultural knowledge. You understand various relationships and perhaps um, understand in the past and um, perhaps where things have uh, broken down. Um, and then in your own way, try to uh, mitigate that as a young person. And if we acknowledge that, um, often our young people are just... Um, I don't merely say puppets, but we we are actors or we navigate spaces um, based on the the, the orders or leadership of others. And so we are aware and we we understand what this all looks like. And then I guess um, as we start to transition into spheres uh, or or roles of leadership, um, we take into account what we've seen over the years. um, And perhaps we try and um, Work that space, if I call it work, perhaps um, a little bit better understanding what we've seen um, over the years.
2: Uh, we have a question here from Michelle and uh, Talofa Michelle from uh, Otsipotsi from Dunedin, um, who, who is currently um, working at Otago Polytech um, and teaches on the Health Bridging program. Uh, her question is Do you have any suggestions about how we can support um, students? who won't pass their studies and find it very very difficult to balance workload, cultural responsibilities and education.
1: Thanks for that question, Michelle. Some of the challenges that exist um, for these young people is this idea that responsibilities are not all equal. And whilst the responsibility to go to university is important um, and to do your best, um, at uni and apply yourself to your readings, um, going to class, um, and obviously doing your best in exams or big assignments. Uh, many of the young people expressed this desire that um, the, the greatest importance in life is fam- family over everything. And if, if, if family, um, uh, the core goes out, so to speak, that your time and your energy needs to be elsewhere, Um, be it funerals or other things like uh, dropping off your grandma to various things. Um, Many of the young people um, just pretty much blatantly said that that's more important than school Um, and they will do that, they will fit that in at at another time. Um, I think the challenge though, however, is that many of the young people expressed this desire to have a good balance um, and to have a balance with home life and fulfill responsibilities which they feel an obligation to do so but also feel on their heart that when they fulfill these responsibilities, there is harmony and there's satisfaction personally but also collectively but then when asked to um, how do you take steps to balance that um, it's a bit of a tricky one um, none of the young people that I interviewed could articulate what balance looks like, and what self-care and protecting wellbeing um, looks like. So I, I think there's um, some of the onus goes on um, adults of influence, um, be it parents, um, be it educators um, to help create space uh, for young people um, to explore and uh, maybe test the boundaries of where um, you know, the load is too heavy um, and then start to pull back and go, okay, how do we start to clear um, some of these responsibilities and if it's not for like a forever um, how do we um, um, do things in periods where perhaps um, you know, the, um, the semester is a, a busy time and this is you know, for the next few weeks I just need to um, take myself off these XYZ responsibilities because um, I think that's um, sometimes a bit of a, a burden that young people feel like they're not doing their part and so that's why they keep these things um, all on the on the load. And so when um, I think you only know what you know, and if young people are um, perhaps aren't um, given the tools or time to, uh, to flesh out what this all looks like um, and perhaps make a few mistakes along the way. And then I guess from there uh, form some, some better practice around studying um, and doing your best in study, but also I guess staying connected to these responsibilities that are dear to our heart
2: Uh, We've got a question here from from Lani um, whether you can comment on the current issue of Pacific high school students uh, who arrive at a crossroads um, commit to financially upholding and contributing to their households uh, through work and I think we saw this during COVID-19 where a lot of uh, particularly our Pacific students who wouldn't return back to school as a result of trying to uh, support families at home um, and during during challenging times.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a, a tricky situation and can be obviously um, heartbreaking in, in some ways, looking at young people um, cutting education short to to play their part um, within the household. Uh, but I guess if you understand um, um, the way we look at service, um, then I, I guess it's, it's a no brainer uh, for saying some young people when they see their parents um, Uh, go through some hardship Um, sometimes uh, parents would even go out of their way to say no you carry on with school but when we're conditioned to see that um, everyone has a part to play in the house or in the wider village setting you don't want to be that person that's not contributing and if you can be uh, directly contributing via a wage even if it's a minimum wage um, then I think our heart's desire will drive us um, to yeah leave school and do our part within the matrix of, um, yeah, the collective. And so I, I, I guess as a as a short comment to wrap that up, I, I think obviously that's a, a short term fix um, to what our immediate needs. Um, and I get that um, bills uh, need to be paid, and people need to be fed, and other expenses. I, I, I guess from an ed- educational, lifelong learning point of view, is that. Um, you know, there will always be bills and if we can consider that um, if we rework some of the things that we need to do and we take on um, some sacrifices then um, our young people can stay involved and engaged in education and, and, and look for perhaps um, higher paying income um, which is perhaps not a now or next week but in a few years time and then the rewards come um, a bit later on. But I guess each to their own individual um, households um, in terms of what is deemed um, urgent and necessary and uh, young people making decisions on what they feel is the right thing to do.
2: Thank you for that. We, we've got a question here from a, 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 an ex-colleague of ours, um, Sia, from uh, the Garden City of Christchurch, um, who um, he has got a question for you, Sam, and which is, did your research show any obvious trends as to what are the biggest issues young Pacific people are facing today?
1: Um, one of the things I picked up on was that all the young people expressed that this, um, this notion of balance, um, balancing your responsibilities um, or having, a, a, I guess, managing self-care. And they all said, yeah, no, that, that's cool. Um, little bit of a smile and all this sort of stuff and um, talk, but talked about it as this lofty idea. Um, and then when asked to sort of unpack what does self-care look like to you or what have you observed around you in terms of balancing service with this need to perhaps rest um, or to not always give, how do you sort of balance the give and sort of hold back? Um, none of them could articulate anything around that. And I guess what that shows is that there's obviously goodness in this if we view it that way that our often our parents um, just know just to give, give, give and that's what our young people see is just give, 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 and if there's nothing to give, then we'll reach further, and we'll give into our time, we'll give into our energy, we'll give of our money, food, so forth, um, but I guess the challenge is that the young people did acknowledge that that's um, not necessarily sustainable, and so I think there's um, a gap there in trying to understand um, how do we grow um, self-care principles, and I think if I sort of colloquially just framed this idea that you know having a break we laugh at it (laughs) you know in the pacific young people it's sort of this idea that it's this this balangi concept of having a break doing yoga having a cup of tea resting while everyone else is doing stuff and everyone else is giving because um we are taught to to serve and give and continually do so so I, i think that that was one of the biggest challenges is to um i guess grapple with this idea that we can't go um engine's blasting 24-7 and the young people identify that um, but don't necessarily have the tools or, or the examples around them um, to see what um, balance looks like and then obviously help have that inform their own practice and juggling um, their responsibilities at home and church but also their responsibilities to school and then the last thing is obviously this responsibility to self um, and this responsibility to look after themselves, because somewhere in there um, it's, it's perhaps perceived a bit that when you focus on self that's selfish because we're taught to sort of always look at the needs of others. And so um, some, some challenges there that I, I think I resonated, I still resonate with perhaps is this idea of um, the notion of always giving and thinking about others' needs but also balancing with my needs, a personal need and self.
2: Which is a very um, uh, interesting uh, point that you you have raised, and uh, and I do hope for those who are tuning in and is wanting to consider to do uh, further research or uh, further the education into postgraduate journey through masters or PhD. Uh, a very interesting topic would be looking at. Um, the, the commonalities and differences of self in a collective society, mm-hmm. and uh, and how Pacific peoples navigate the space in between, jumping in between self and the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, is, there has been some research out there, but I uh, like with any research uh, uh, needs to be updated and uh, re looked at and uh, uh, resurfaced as well. We've got a question here from um, Akiha, a uh, youth organization. Um, who is working alongside a Pacific 17-year-old male um, who is training as a youth worker and um, something that you're very familiar with. Um, and he's doing his placement at this uh, youth organization. He has significant cultural and church responsibilities as his father as a pastor. Do you have any tips or, or um, strategies on how the organisation can support this young male to balance the cultural understanding or responsibilities uh, with their study and placement requirements?
1: I think it starts with some talanoa. Huh? And um, I think um, our parents, and this is not, a, I guess, a, a, a slamming on our parents, but I, I think often our parents uh, think that the added responsibilities of various sort of things can all be done all at the same time. Um, and that expectation um, is just a given that we do our best in all of these spheres of life but I guess um, at a basic principle um, there are only so many hours in the day and I think um, you know these conversations need to be had that if X amount of hours um, uh, need to be uh, committed to um, placement then obviously um, the young man can't be in two places at one time and I think also the conversation comes is that if you're not you know, if even in between the placements and then obviously other responsibilities, um, this idea of rest or well-being, it's not something that we do well as a community. Um, we just cram in our schedule. Uh, but I guess this all starts with conversation, Talano, and I think it's incredibly important um, to um, honour um, the role that the father um, plays as a minister because that's incredibly um, honouring. Um, and the work and the service that they feel they're doing uh, for, first and foremost, um, unto the Lord and, and God's work, um, but also um, unto the community and the parishioners that they have. And so I think having these um, these conversations and just trying to support the young person and fulfilling this, because nonetheless, he will want to um, make his his parents proud. And I guess this is also this idea that um, the, the the minister's um, kids um, are... are definitely attached um, to the role of the minister and they need to be there supporting uh, their father's work.
2: It's a very encouraging and exciting space to be in. um, And I think to have courageous conversations with parents is critical for an organization who work alongside our Pacific young people to, to create that space and uh, allow for a sense of understanding and commonality to, uh, in order to move forward. We have a lot of, um, comments and questions flying in from all over the place across York, um, across uh, the Motu. In order to address the the last question, um, search up on Facebook or or, or Google. There's a book out by um, Dr. Upulva'ai and also Professor Naisi Nambombombamba, available from the University of South Pacific, that looks at relational, um, sorry, The Relationship Between the South and the Collective, Relational Humanetics, Decolonizing Mindset, and the Pacific um, Itulangi. Uh, So it's a book out there um, that can support our um, non-Pacific working alongside our Pacific communities. And let me ask this final question here. What are your views regarding the responsibilities of tertiary institutions to create space for Moana or Pacific students um, to carry out their cultural responsibilities and remain engaged in tertiary study.
1: Yeah, I think it's as a, as a, a very blanket approach. Um, and if I just hone in on South Auckland, there's a, a plethora of um, training providers and also universities um, setting up shop in South Auckland. And I think um, there comes this idea that if you, you want to set up shop in a space where there's a very youthful um, and growing population, which is very Maori and Pacific, um, therein lies the responsibility um, for you setting up shop as part of your business model to meet the needs um, of the area, um, be it um, socioeconomic uh, needs um, and also cultural needs. And I think um, I think this business model of obviously an emerging market of South Auckland is um, in one, one sense um, underrepresented in, in higher education. So perhaps uh, an area for growth um, therein lies the responsibility for institutions to come in um, and also um, work alongside um, those needs, but also present um, education, qualifications, and skills uh, that are relevant um, to them as, as people, um, and both in terms of their current needs, but also their future aspirations. And so I think um, education providers um, need to be uh, flexible in what they deliver, um, need to hear the voices of communities um, and then obviously um, do their best, their utmost best um, to change um, and to mould uh, business processes, student support services and everything else in curriculum um, to then reflect what is out there in the community, which uh, from a South Auckland approach is very brown.
2: Thank you again for for sharing your knowledge, your ideas, your experience, and perception around us. a very, I wouldn't say sensitive, but it's a very important topic that needs to be um, discussed often within our tertiary spaces. And it's a it's a it's almost cliche in the education space, but it's a the famous title by Ed Milne where she says it's time that we start colouring in white spaces. Mm colouring coloring in white spaces to ensure that our Māori Pacific students achieve, and not just achieve, but uh, excel and, and become successful in everything that they do within the tertiary space. So, um, thank you again, um, Sam. Maropito, for sharing your, your insights and knowledge regarding your research that you're doing. Final question, where to from here uh, for Sam, for Asetua, Sam Polisi?
1: Um, so yeah, still, um, still in education and, and blessed to be doing so and um, working with young people, uh, definitely considering um, some more research um, and furthering on uh, from the previous research um, and just being um, uh, creating research one that um, honors the stories of our people and the lived experiences, but also two uh, provides perhaps some insights to be useful um, back in our communities.
0: You're listening to He Kōreroa, a community research podcast.